Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. You know, we've been hearing that song a lot lately in the first few games. Max Boltman, welcome back, man. Hey, no, my pleasure. It, it has been. It's uh, it's a pretty good song choice, too. I uh, The first time I heard it, I didn't know if it was going to be like a rotation of songs or yeah. if they would stick with it. I think it really works. Does it, what is it like there? Does that work in the venue? I have not been down there yet. It, I think it does. I think it sounded great on that. I mean, you obviously got great producers going for you. Yeah, we do. Too, we but do. Uh, I think it, I think it sounds good. I think the horn works. The only thing I, I don't know that I love the horns at the end of the of the song, but, you know. We, well, maybe they'll fine tune that. Was that the thing in the preseason too? Was that the goal song in the preseason? No, I know I didn't. I didn't hear it until uh, opening night. So a nice little surprise they sprung. So tell me, we're early on. We were shooting the shit a little bit before the show. We're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves, but at the same time, holy fuck, what an awesome start for the Red Wings! Three and one, four games in. What's your early reaction? What have you seen so far? Are you surprised by how things have looked early on? Not surprised that they started well. They've start, they started well last year, too, reasonably well, at least. Surprised how it's happened, though. Like I, I think the vision that certainly the people who were, wanted to be optimistic about this team, they wanted to believe in you know four scoring lines and some defense who could chip in offense and, and a Seattle Kraken-like model that, that could maybe account for not having these superstars by having good players throughout the lineup. If you were of that mind coming into the season, you are thrilled because that is everything that's happened and more Alex to bring it's leading the NHL. I don't know where we're at right now. It's as we talk here on a Thursday night, but he was leading the NHL in points coming into the night. They've had 12 different goal scorers tied for the league lead in goals. Power plays clicking at a ridiculous rate. All that stuff is going to drop from where it's at. But the fact that it's happening to this point tells you that that vision was not crazy. Uh, how much am I buying it? We'll see. Like it's four games is really small. You know, it's, it's what it's, it's 20, one twentieth, five percent of the NHL season. Like we got a long way to go, but I think the my big takeaway is that there was merit to that idea that they could counteract not having these top end stars by having all this new depth. And so, if you came into the season skeptical, I think you at least have to be considering maybe this can work. Oh, well, I mean, speaking of skepticism, your colleague at the Athletic wrote one of the ten most depressing articles of the year. I don't know if you know what I'm talking I about, do. but you've referred to it before in your work. So I know you're familiar with yeah. the piece. It is a very, very difficult last name to pronounce. But is it Dom Luschuchin? Uh I can spell it better than I can pronounce it. Uh, They're both, I think it's Luce Chichen. That's That sounds better than mine. We'll go with that. Ben, throw up this. This is just on the eve of the season, talking about the Red Wings and the state of their rebuild and what he viewed as the poor state of the rebuild. Quote, the biggest problem with the Red Wings as currently constructed, the lack of an elite core, which is what makes this feel like a make or break year. Detroit is behind the curve. The Red Wings do not have players on the franchise level. That's Dom's take. What's your view here? Was that fair? Do you feel any differently a few games into the season? He doesn't seem too bullish on where the Red Wings are in their state of the rebuild right now. Can we now. get that back up on the screen? Because I think if you you could break down different parts of this. Sure. Biggest problems with the Red Wings is currently constructed, the lack of an elite core. I think that's a fact. If you have, I, I don't know who could disagree that they don't right now have an elite core. They don't have any 
players who you would currently say are even in the top 30 of the NHL, right? You would expect each team would have one. Doesn't always work out like that. Teams like Colorado have three or four. Yeah. Uh, Detroit doesn't have one. They, I think they've got a couple in that next range, that 31 to 55 Larkin insider. Maybe DeBrinket's in there. Let's see what happens with some of their prospects. I think it's a stone cold fact that they lack an elite core. But I disagree with the next line, which makes us feel like a make or break here. I've talked to Dom about this piece. He's a friend of mine. He didn't mean make or break in terms of, you know, the whole thing, you know, Iserman on the hot seat if they don't make it, blah, blah, blah. They got to make the playoffs. What he was getting at was, as I understand it at least, it's they've got to show that they can, they have a plan to win without those pieces, right? And I think that's, again, to go back to what we talked about at the open, I think that's, if you're an optimist, you're saying, yeah, they do. This is what it's going to look like, right? It's early. We'll see whether that's the case. But I, I didn't find that first line to be, all that shocking. And so I, I get it's like intimidating, but I think that's that is what defined this moment in the Red Wings rebuild is, hey, when, when everyone was talking at the start of this rebuild about why you're going to why you should be patient with this team and suffer the losses, it was because there was this kind of promised finish line where you come out of it with a McKinnon or a Matthews or a McDavid, right? It didn't. It didn't. But I don't think personally, I don't think that's the only way. It's just it means you got to do it a little differently than you probably planned to at the outset. So I don't really view it as make or break, but I do think regardless of what happens this season, that's still a problem they're going to be working through in the coming years because they aren't built like that, you know, classic coming out of the rebuild team, the New Jersey's, right? New Jersey comes out of their rebuild and they have two number one overall picks down the middle at center. Uh, on defense, they've got, you know, Dougie Hamilton, who they didn't draft, but is a number one defenseman. Luke Hughes looks like he can be a number one defenseman. I'm on the lower end, I think, on Luke Hughes, but like the potential is obviously there. And they've got another top two pick defenseman in Simon Nemitz, right? Like that's how you envision yourself coming out of a rebuild. Detroit's not coming out of it like that. But you could certainly make a case that the teams that did come out of their rebuilds like that also haven't won like crazy yet, other than really Colorado. Tampa did it on the backs of guys who weren't other than, I mean, they got Stamkos and Tampa. They're, they're, they're a bad example, but um, they had a lot of guys who weren't of that profile, too. They whiffed on a lot of actually first round picks. True, but I mean, Hedman, Kucherov, and Stamkos. They're, Cover up a lot. For and, sure. and, they're, you know, they're and, and goal. That's what I mean. They're not, they're not a Their comparable. Their top four guys were all drafted. Totally. They're not a comparable for the Red Wings yeah. at this point. And I mean, the Colorado example is great, too, because, you know, McKinnon, even going back to Landeskog, McCarr, Drafted, drafted, drafted. Their core has been guys they drafted ranting in too. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting because I like what Detroit's doing. I'm kind of in this same complicated relationship with that article as you are. Yeah. Where I'm seeing, I'm doing some head nodding, but I'm also doing some wondering. I do think it is difficult. I don't know how much high, high-end multiple marquee players the Blues had or the Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights last Vegas year. Vegas didn't draft theirs. St. Louis didn't really draft theirs. They right. Petrangelo. It, it, it was a lot of kind of B-plus players. So I do think there's another way to do it. I think it's better, though, if you can have one or two of those marquee players. What is their pathway, if there is one, to getting a marquee top 10 guy? Because I, don't, I think we're already out of it, short of hitting Golden in the draft, you know, in the middle of the round. We're kind of out of the lottery era, yeah. hopefully. Can they get that piece? Well, when Vegas did it, it was by trade. They got uh, Mark Stone that way. I don't know if he's not top 10, but like, I don't think you need top 10. There's only so few of those. And a lot of yep. those top 10 guys, by the way, haven't won. Matthews hasn't won. McDavid hasn't won. Drysaddle hasn't won. I think Stone's elite, elite. 
And I think Eichel is a leader. Eichel at one point would have been talked about in that top 10. Maybe, yes. maybe he can be again. Both of those guys were trades. I think that's a viable path. You know, they, they if you think about the, the Red Wings, like now have this cast that I think it's better than what you could assemble in an expansion draft, but it's, it's not totally dissimilar in terms of guys that other teams in a lot of cases let walk. Colorado didn't pay JT Comfer. Winnipeg slash the Rangers didn't pay Andrew Kopp. Robbie Fabry's had his, you know, winding road to get here. Right? You can Daniel Sprong, certainly, you know, you could kind of piece together and say, hey, can they do can they can this be their starting point as if it were an expansion? And then you just you're a little ahead because you get Raymond and Sider and Edvinson and all that stuff in there. And you can say, OK, I'm going to throw out some names here. I don't know if, if Elias Pettersson is ever going to come available, but he's like a guy who's in the middle of this like RFA controversy. Is he going to sign or not? If he were to ever come free. Are you now in the position to do what Vegas kind of did and make a big offer on Elias Patterson? That's like that's like the obvious path, right? It's like you make a trade for a guy who I think Elias Patterson's in that top 30 tier. He would make the Red Wings. You know, he would give them a top four forward core that that does look like suddenly one of those threatening teams. And then the rest is kind of development. Like I think in Cider and Edvinson, you could have two stud number one defensemen and that's going to go a long way. That makes you more in the St. Louis mold where, okay, yeah, like, Larkin's not McKinnon, but can he be, he can score more than Ryan O'Reilly for sure. And you get Nate Daniels thinking he'd be your Braden Shen and you got these two stud D that's a path. So I, that's where I kind of deviate from Dom is I do think there's another path there, but I have to say, I seeing the reaction to his article, I do think there's a lot of people that were mad despite kind of no, maybe, maybe they don't want to admit, but they kind of know deep down there was a little validity to what he had written, even if not yeah. like the whole thing of just like, and they're like, Oh, and that thing that I agree is true, like that could that could tank the Red Wings. That's kind of how I perceived it. I don't know if I'm off on that. I mean, you made the point right up front. Who's the top 30 player? I'm, I'm a diehard Red Wings fan. Like I, I, I love the Red Wings. I can't look at any of these guys and say definitively top 30. Yeah. I mean, you might see a top 30 type production from the Brinkett, but you know, there's more things than the box score. Cider, you mentioned, I agree, can certainly get there. He's, I don't think anyone would argue he's there yet. So yeah, the arguments there are fair. I, I just think they they seem to be going more in that Vegas Golden Knight, you know, St. Louis blue mold where we're going to have a bunch of good yep. and just try to have that carry us. I'm curious where they're at between the pipes. It seems kind of like a series of stop gaps and whoso and guys. I don't know if they had the franchise guy. Is, do you think it's Kosa? Is it Sebastian eventually? Where, where's that headed? It's a great question. I thought that I might see at the start of the season with the steps that Kosa made a dominant performance from Sebastian Kosa at the Red Wings prospect tournament that actually the opposite happened. He was not good there. And he was, I thought he'd actually taken a step back from what he did at that tournament last year. Now it's a prospect tournament. We'll see. He had a great first game in Grand Rapids last weekend. So that's a good sign. If you asked me like, you know, right now predict is Sebastian Kosa like an above average NHL starter. I don't think I could tell you that I do think that right now. But he certainly has physical tools that could allow him to become it. But I don't like by this stage, he's in his draft plus three, I think. I think I just would want to see more results there to like really feel like this is a future ace one guy. And I haven't, but it could still happen. Goalies are the most unpredictable position. Impossible. Right. I, your guy, Trey Augustine, could also be like a He could very well end up better than Coase. He could very well end up you know, a solid number one star. He doesn't have like the freaky athleticism. So maybe that like limits the upside, so to speak, but he's a really technically strong goalie. And I think he's almost the opposite of like, you see he's 
had the highest save percentage, I believe. I think it was the highest in NTDP history for a U18 goalie last season. Yeah. Stud, right? Yep. And he's going to be awesome at Michigan State this year. So um, they've got a couple irons in the fire. But like slam dunk, I don't think there is that like equivalent to what you'd have with like Cider and Edvinson in in net right now. Even that sort of conventional wisdom has shifted. And not to keep going back to my boys Colorado team, but... Yeah, you know, we get Darcy Kemper and, you know, yes. then Georgiev and we'll kind of just try to get a bunch of B minus guys through and cycle through and kind of build. That's not what it used to be like when we were coming up, man. Totally. You had to have like Patrick Warb. Absolutely. Know. I know you're familiar with my friend Prashant Iyer. Like this is this is his this is his like pet cause is like don't use first round picks on goalies because yeah. you can go find Darcy Kemper or whatever when you need him. Um so you look at the, you know, I, I hate to do this, but like you look at the pick the Red Wings traded up from to go get Coast. There's Wyatt Johnston, who's like one of the best young centers, you know, breaking into the league right now. And you just wonder, okay, if they had him. But, you know, it's, it's a little too much revisionist. I get it. But that's why people are so skeptical of goalies in the first round is that, you know, it, they can be predictable. And if you're not getting premium, right? We'll see what Jesper Wallstep becomes. Like he was the other first round goalie that year and people love to compare him. It's a, it's a very possible that Jesper Wallstedt's also just an average NHL starting goalie, and you can argue whether that's really worth a first-round pick when you can find an average starting goalie elsewhere. So, I don't know. It's the hockey equivalent of a running back in the first yes. round for football. It drives me nuts. Like, we've seen this again and again. It's just not a good bet. And you, people love citing the occasional outlier. The Saquon Barkley, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even that, really? Like, they didn't even want to pay him. Sure. I mean, even the, the ultimate exception is sort of a eh, meh exception. I know this is non-scientific, Max. One of my best friends growing up was at the, the win over Pittsburgh. Yep. And he's, he goes all the time. He's got like a partial plan, but it's one of those 20 games a year partial plan. He said it feels a lot different down there this year. That it's the vibe in the building, the way the team looks, the pep. I know that's as unscientific as it can get, and I know we're on a small sample size. But you cover this team, you're in the room, you're around, you're at practice. Does it feel different to you this year versus years prior? Honestly, yes. And one thing I noticed, so the, one of the, the first few times we've come into the locker room this season, one thing I, that jumped out right away is, number one, there were more players in there. And they didn't, it wasn't, we didn't just walk into a silent room where everyone's like, you could hear the you know, tape ripping off of hockey sock or shin pad right away. Like, they're talking to each other. They're laughing. They're playing kind of games shooting tape into trash cans and you know they're kind of I, I think that is real and I think that there is something to that with l- last season around the time they went on their win streak they they all kind of talked about the bonding that they had did on on that like out west trip and kind of you know a couple guys got extensions on that trip and celebrating that and I do think that that played a role in in the push that they made around that time is coming together and you heard a lot of guys talking about entering this year they felt like they were even the new guys felt like they were really a part of it really fast. It sounds like they held a lot of kind of like watch parties for like football games and they golfed and all this stuff that you expect NHL players to do. But maybe you don't, maybe you take for granted that like what it means for that guy coming to a new city to be a part of that before even day one of training camp. And it's probably the easiest thing in the world to overrate. And you're talking about how unscientific it is. I Like I agree with all that, but to, to the point about does it feel different, it really actually does in there at least. And we'll see how that goes. There, things are really good right now. Like that's the other part of this. Like it's, it is one thing when I covered some streaks where I'm sure they were losing six, seven, eight games in a row. And no wonder it's, you know, you could hear a pin drop in there. So we'll see what happens when adversity comes, I guess. But 
in the early going, I actually have noticed that. I mean, the captain were still in the status quo with Dylan Larkin having to see there. Is there something to say with his evolution as a leader, growth, that they're having more football watch parties? Is this something you're seeing with a change in him, or is it just the influx of new guys? What do you attribute it to? I think that's probably a really good point. I think he's definitely a part of that, and he's gotten to be older now, where I think that's probably a little more natural to like host all that stuff as opposed to... How old was he when he was named captain? 25? 24, 25? Yeah, so like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how old. I don't really remember how old the roster was at that point. Maybe there's something that's more natural. I don't know. They've also got, like, this. Le- the leadership group is a little more stable now with, like, Cop and Sherat and Perron. Like, those guys have been around, and they probably have some experience. I, I don't think all the credit needs to go one place, but I certainly, it sounds like, you know, Dylan's a big driver of that um, from what I can kind of peripherally gather. So I do think that's a that's probably a big part of the evolution there i think the center of the excitement really is alex to within the fan base there's a number of factors but i think he's number one certainly i can speak for myself and the group threads that i'm in so just to give some perspective for those that don't know you're, you're an educated guy you know this stuff it's been a long time since we've had this kind of a guy here yes. in terms of a goal scorer and ben can you throw that up for us quite the drought it has been the Detroit Red Wings have not had a 40-goal score since Marion Hosa scored 40 in 2009. They are the only team in the NHL without a single 40-goal score in that span, and that includes the expansion Kraken and Golden Knights, who were around for five seconds and had a 40-goal score. <laughs> yeah, right. So this is, this is a – first of all, it's insane to have gone that long without one 40-goal score, and some even good teams at the front end of that. I don't want to jinx it, but I mean, this year one, the Brinkett, is that going to end this year? It seems like it. It's funny. One of my bold predictions in my article this year was that, is that it would end and that it wouldn't be to because it was going to be Larkin after to got all the like, you know, defensive attention early. I wish I could just go erase that won't and make and it will be Alex to because it looks I mean, everything's going in for him right now. And he looks really good and not just as a shooter. I've actually I think I probably underrated what he might bring you know, just in terms of getting on to pucks, he's quicker than I realize. And he just thinks clearly thinks the game really well. I actually don't even think we've seen that line at full clicking yet. I think they're still really trying to make these plays to each other that, you know, you could just get it on net and get a rebound or whatever. I, I think this, they're all figuring each other out still, I think. And I think there's another level to come um, with that group. And so the fact that he gets out to this five goals and four games start, I mean, he's not going to score at that rate, but now he only needs, what, 35 in the next 78 games. That feels like, almost feels automatic, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, and this is not some fluke for him. He's, no, he's gone done on, it twice. He's yeah. gone on these types of runs his entire career where, you know, he'll have five goals in like, you know, eight games totally. kind of thing. This is what he does, and and maybe not quite to this level, but this is a guy that has scored at this clip before in long stretches, and I just think this is such an interesting guy for what they got him for the fan perception, my perception, the sort of enduring uh, reaction was that's it in the trade. And obviously they subsequently signed him. Is it fair to say they kind of stole him? I mean, what, what, what did you make of that trade when it was announced? Yeah, I do think that's fair to say. I, I, I think you have to really go back to, to the previous summer when Ottawa traded for him and what they gave up. They gave up the seventh overall pick of that, Ends up being Kevin Korczynski, who's a really promising young defense prospect. Also very could have easily been Marco Casper if Ottawa stays at that spot, who the Red Wings picked. Um, and that is a premium, premium asset. And the Red Wings gave up a first round pick in the trade, but it's, it's this coming year's Boston pick. We'll see where that shakes out. It, 
at, I feel like at best that's a late teens pick. So already there, it's whatever the the difference to trade up from seventeen or eighteen up to seven is, which is a huge. We hardly ever see a trade like that because of how big that value gap is. And so, yes, you get one less year of certainty with him, team control, than what Ottawa did. But you immediately sign him to the deal because he wants to play in your city. Like it's. This is the kind of break, right? The Red Wings don't have this advantage that teams like uh, Dallas and Tampa and Florida get with the tax. uh, No state income tax, tax, right? right? But they do have that they are a a hometown team for a lot of really good players. And so this is kind of their version of, I think, that advantage that, you know, Adam Fox forces his way to New York. And what are you going to do about that? Like multiple other really good organizations had Adam Fox in their organization. I'm sure they had a feeling what they had, but they weren't going to be able to sign him. So he basically goes to New York and New York looks genius and they have Adam Fox. But like this is kind of Detroit's version of that, I think, of like you, you do have to feel a little bad for Ottawa because I'm sure they thought that he would be signing that extension with them. But at the end of the day, he signed it in Detroit and I, I think they did get a great deal on him. And um, I'm sure that at this point, there's people wishing he had signed that four year contract for more like six or seven years. Um, and that's totally fair, too. It will put them in an interesting spot when that when that is up. Yes. Uh, but for the price you got, I'm like, you know, you're, it's almost. Uh, it's very hard for me to imagine a world where that does not look like a win at every stage of this I four mean, year contract. It, it seemed like he gave some. You know, message passed through either his agent or just himself that I'm not going to sign with any other team after a trade. You know, I'm going to the market after as an expiring. I just I can't understand. Under it seemed like Ottawa was over a barrel is what I'm getting at. Why would they make this trade for what they did? I it feels like they got robbed here. Well, what are you going to do if you if you don't trade him? I mean, I just. I, that's the best somebody could do was with the Red Wings package. I'm thrilled. I'm not complaining. I just, I can't, they stole them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what other offers they got on the table. I generally am a believer that the team will make the, the trade for the best offer they can get. The only variable, and I don't know this is like, did other teams think that they were going to be able to sign the trade? That's what I'm getting to because teams would be reticent if they think it's just a rental. Exactly. If they have no shot, my inclination is that there was some type of, and agent circles like he wants to go home to Detroit. So if you do trade for him, he'll he'll play. He's not going to hold out. But do you remember? Did uh, there's these GMs vary on this widely, and I don't remember what it was in his case. Was he allowed to talk? His agent allowed to talk to other teams in pursuing this. If trade? he was, I don't think that was made public. Yeah. So I, if that's the case, then you're leaving teams to guess. They talk though, man. I am sure. They, but I'm like, telling you, they talk. Well, they, I'm sure they do, but like. Yeah. Either way, either they made an, an educated decision to know them, to know that they didn't think that they would, or yeah. they were left to guess. And if they were left to guess, you could easily understand how they would think, well, a lot of people think he would want to be in Detroit. Like, are we going to be able to sign him? If, if you're not going to know that until you've made that trade, of course, that's going to affect what your offer is. If you don't know whether you can sign a guy, even if, you, even if it's possible, but you don't know, how can you give up two first round picks before having it done. I don't remember what it was in the Stone case. And I think Otto was actually pretty happy to get Brandstrom, which looks horrible in hindsight. Yeah, thanks. Right? <laughs> but I don't remember what it was in that case. But like all the GMs, like I, I get that they don't want to give this power to the agent to come to this deal because it can go the other way. It almost gives them a no trade clause if they don't have one. But 
you can understand how the other GMs would have low offers if they if they're left to kind of guess whether they can sign the guy or not. Your article today was great talking about the Brinkett as a game changer. Ben, can you throw up the excerpt from Max? I, I mean, I don't know. I read it today, Max. I think it was your article from today. The Brinkett is a kind of weapon the Red Wings haven't had in years. Even when he hasn't been the one scoring, the threat of his scoring touch has helped elevate Detroit's power play as a whole. I'm observing all the same things you are. It just seems like everybody's getting better looks at the net. He's already hooked up with Larkin on an incredible play in an, on an on-man uh, on rush. Just how do you see it affecting the entire unit, even aside from Dabrinkit in a vacuum? Yeah, so a couple plays in the preseason that actually stood out where Dabrinkit didn't have an angle and he gets the puck and he, he brings it down low to an angle he's not going to score from. Because they got to keep an eye on him. He makes this pass over to Larkin. I think it was two straight games across the crease, and it's just easy money for Larkin to flip that thing up in there. The benefit of a power play is they can't cover all of you. And if they're like having to even shade a little extra over to one side, Dabrinkit has that left flank spot where he, he lines up and is lethal from, then it's just even more space for everybody else. So it can open that up. I thought you saw it on the Perron goal the other night that you played in the intro where he's down low and he goes to Larkin in the slot. Larkin gets a great look. And then even when that doesn't go in, like how are you covering Perron on the rebound? Because you're having to pay all this other attention. That and I just think it it draws your focus, right? And so um, I the one thing I would say, and I've put this on Twitter, it hasn't mattered yet. Their power plays are like 46%. I think they have to be careful to not force feed it and make it predictable and allow teams shading onto him to be an effective strategy it will require a little bit of movement, a little bit of creativity at some point. But right now, I think just the threat of him is is having a big impact. Is it smart to have Perron here? There's a lot of criticism from fans, you know, blocking of the young guys. There's no first or second year guys on the roster. Perron has been one of the guys singled out I've seen frequently. What do you make of his presence here just as an example of a guy that people are not thrilled about? I think he's great. I, I, that's like one of the last places. If I was a fan, that would be directing my anger. You have you seen that yeah, though? For sure, you've seen that. That's I, I'm not the, making the funniest that up. thing to me is people talking about he looks slow. Yeah, have, did you watch him last year? Like he's not a fast guy. It's like an open running joke among the team. I had a whole article. Yeah, last Luke Robitaille is one of the slowest guys I've ever yeah, seen. But like that's just not who he is. Yeah. Like it's you know like it's it's like saying Alex DeBrincat. Yeah, but he doesn't look very tall. Like, <laughs> and, of course, like that's just not what he's built around, right? Yeah. Perron is one of the best wall players in the NHL. People can say, oh, wall play, like how much does that matter? Well, it matters a lot when you're retrieving pucks for scores, when you're down low. He's savvy. He's smart. He was their second leading scorer last season. Like the guy that they would call up if they didn't have Perron is maybe Jonathan Bergeron, who is nothing like David Perron. And they, you know, I get there needs to be a place for Jonathan Bergeron to see what they have in him and all that. But he's not even getting that role like in their team. It's just like, to me, that's a total non-factor. He also has been a huge piece, I think, in ramping up the intensity that they practice with, which has started to translate. He's a huge room guy. Like all this stuff that like, I know people got annoyed with and they got really annoyed with it, especially on guys like Abdelkader because it seemed like, and what else? Like, right. Like, but with Perron, like he was your second leading scorer. He's great down low. He wins pucks for your stars. People seem to like playing with him. To me, that one's just like a, a non-issue. I like Perron. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I was curious for your take, honestly, because I don't, I don't understand what people are talking about. Not everyone's going to play that style. I keep reading negative Perron stuff, and I'm like, oh, he's doing his job. I've seen it too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's, I think he's doing exactly what they need him to do. I agree. Yeah. Tell me about the decor, because I mean, 
Well, I can't get anybody in trouble. We we know I know a hockey player. Uh, he said the decor is the biggest question. Okay. He didn't rip them. Yeah. He didn't criticize. He says he's looking at the roster. We were talking before the season. He goes, the decor is the biggest question mark if I'm a fan of Detroit. Is that fair? What do you make of that? I still think the biggest question is in that, but I think it's question. It's fair to question like the decor, especially because like it was weird how they went about it too. Like I actually thought Edvinson at the end of last year looked like, okay, he's hurt. So maybe you're not going to reserve a spot for him and you want to make him prove it. Um, but it seemed like not out of their own possibility that he would do that. And so they come into the year loaded up with these seven established vets that they're already having like, sounds like at least from what they tell us, like a hard time deciding who to scratch. What I think they have is they, they have a top pair. And I, I think Jake Wallman is a legit top pair guy with Mort Sider. And then they, I think they kind of have, well, how does it like five, like four or five defensemen basically. Right. So it's like, none of those are going to amount to the, the second pair that you would really envision on a contender on a, on a really good playoff team. But their third pair, I think is going to be solid no matter who it is. Gosses bears out to a good start. I actually think Sherratt's out to a really good start. Speaking of guys that fans like to take shots at, I thought he's had a really good start. I didn't like the Sherratt thing, but no, I get yeah, it. But yeah. I, off this, to start this season, I think he's looked really good. He had a tough year last year, obviously, and yeah. Um, but I thought he's looked really good to start, and his physicality made I thought a huge impact on the Pittsburgh game last night. Um, Petrie, we'll see. Like that was an interesting trade. That was the last piece in and. Um, he's got a little more jam than I think I realized too, but has also made some mistakes in the early goal. Not a Petrie guy. Yeah. And but, I think that's fair. Like yeah. he's another one of those guys that I think he can maybe be the, the number two guy on the number two pair. But if you're asking him to carry the second pair, you're nervous. And then Mata is just like steady, but that's that four five classic Gosses bears, a specialist, you know, Justin Hall. I think he's been better than I expected, but I think you're happiest with him as a third pair guy, ideally. But some of these guys got to play in your second pair and they're going to have to work it out. It's been Schrott and Peach, Petrie most often. Um, but I think it's fair to say like that's especially that second pair. Like it's just you want two of those guys to elevate and can any of them do it? I think Edvinson's the most likely one to do it, but he's not in Detroit right now. What's their cap situation going forward? Can they acquire some salary this year? Even, you know, let's forget free agency next year. Can they add salary at this point? Yes, they can. Um it's a really good free agent class. So you're if you do it, you're that's your guy you're doing. It Cause you know, this is what we would want it to do. They got money coming off prawns up. Like they have, they have some uh, maneuverability there. Um, they got to get the cider and Raymond deals done, but they can, if they, if they want to, um, it's just, they are no longer in the space that they were the last time I was on with you, where it was like, do whatever you want. You, you know, you can't mess this up right. basically on any one deal. Right. Um, now they've given out some medium-term deals. Cops got three more years after this one. Comfort's got four more years after this one. Sherrod, I think, is two more years after this one. Um, they, those, some of those deals have a little bit of term on them now. So not as much maneuverability, but they still can. I, I don't have the number in front of me. I, I forget what it is. I want to say it's like six or seven million. Um, but I could check cap friendly or something while you talk if you want. No, no, that's <laughs> good. I, we're just trying to get a ballpark. Because, yeah. I mean, my sense is that they, they can add a significant yes. piece or two. They sort could. Of yeah. I don't expect they're going to do that, though. I, I still don't think, even if they're in the playoff hunt, I don't think you're going to see Steve Eiserman, like trading a first-round pick to get a $7 million guy. In what about free agency next year? How about that? Maybe. And, and I gave the example. If some star is available and they can get him, I'm not saying they wouldn't do it. But I, I think it would have to be someone who's going to be with them, who's still in their young age range. It's someone who's going to be around with them for a while. They're not, they're not that invested, from my perception, in 2023-24. 
if they can do well in 2023-24 and it's part of where they're headed, sure. But um I you know, in terms of the it would probably depend on the player and the contract in terms of whether they would do that. Do you perceive that they have to make the playoffs this year from a fan perception standpoint? No, but it's trending more and more that way each year, I think. I, I hear more of it each year. I don't think so. I think if they I predicted them with 88 points. I don't know how fans would feel at that range because then you're probably picking 11th, 12th. You didn't come that close to the playoffs. That might be an itchy spot for them to be. And but if they're at 90, 92 and they're like five points out of the playoffs, I think fans are going to feel like right there, you know, kind of maybe not quite like where the where the Lions fans felt this offseason. I think they kind of knew they could win the division potentially. Yes. But more like that of like right there. And, you know, you got these prospects. Danielson looked really good in the preseason. Like, is he going to become come in and be a factor? Edvinson by next season, I think, should certainly be a factor. That, I think, is like to go back to that optimist point. Like if they're a 90 to 95 point team, I don't think they are. But 90, 92, let's say this year. And you still have three top 10 picks that haven't like become full timers for you yet. I do think you feel really good about that if that's where you're at as a franchise. And Carter Mazur, who was not that high of a pick, but I think looks like one of those fines in the third round, then you can really feel like, okay, you know, the Red Wings are decent and they got more on the way that's potentially maybe not elite, elite talent, but like upper, upper uh, lineup talent. I think it's worth pointing out the Tampa Bay timeline with Eisenman was already done and they, they were in the Stanley Cup finals. I believe they won the finals on the same timeline. That would have been like them winning last year. No. So, they didn't win that series. Was that the year they lost in the I, finals? It must be because they were 100% in the finals. Uh, yeah, I'm not It must look be it up. when they lost. They didn't win until he left. So he never won a cup with them. No, I know. But I'm saying his um, timeline from years from when he got there yeah. to when they, maybe it was when they lost in the finals. It, it's got to be. They were in the yeah. finals, though. Yeah. So because he gets there, what, 2010? That was the year they lost the finals. I'm confirming that. But either way, yeah. I'm, I'm 100% sure they were in the finals. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had Stamkos and Hedman. I mean, that's just kind of, well, you know, it's, it's well, a different ballgame. Yeah, and, you know, Kutrov, who he stole, and yeah. Vasilevsky, who he stole. So, you know, we haven't really seen that equivalent yet. I, but here's the argument for Iserman in defense of him, and I'm still an Iserman guy. I've argued, forget hockey, in my life as a sports fan, the Detroit Red Wings rebuild was the single most difficult rebuild I've ever seen. Mm. Capped out, very little talent on the roster, nowhere to go for like three years. Is that an insane takeaway to say that? Whether you say it's the literal worst or one of the worst, this was an extremely difficult rebuild that he inherited. Is that fair? Oh, it's absolutely fair. I mean, there, there's no doubt. And what's what I look back on, this was one of my, I, I did a year on the Tigers. I had done a little bit of time on Michigan. I was still 23, I think, when I started on this beat. I so naively looked at like what they had in place. and was like, well, you know, Anthony Mantha, like, good player. Like maybe he'll be a core piece, Whatever. right? And it's, it, like you look back in hindsight and you're like, wow, like it was going to be a long road, right? The, the, the young core that I thought I was looking at was the core that was going to be dealt away to get the young core other than Larkin, basically. Um, I, I think you're spot on. I think they were in a, a spot that was always going to be a long road. And maybe it's just one of those things that when you're looking at it, um, you know, you can't really conceive of that, whether it's without experience or context or whatever. Um, but, but I think you're spot on. What's the Stanley cup timeline for this team. Realistically. I don't know because of that 
what we talked about at the outset of just like there, it doesn't seem like they're following the, the dreamy version of this rebuild. Like if they're, if they continue kind of how they've started this season, which like, I don't mean like 46% power play winning three quarters of their games. I just mean like to look like they're a, a, this level of like kind of competent offense. Um, I think you could see them once they get kind of those Danielson, Edvinson, Casper, Mazer pieces in, which you, you want to give those guys time to be rookies, you know, probably still three, four years, I think. And that's if Man, that's are, a long time for Stanley Cup, though, right? Like it wouldn't shock me if they're in the playoffs a year from now. How about this year? Push. Why can't we make it? This I'm not year? saying I'm not saying it's like less than a 20. I think Dom had it at 14 percent. I would say it's more like 25 percent. But yeah. that's just my gut. You know, like it, I mean, it wouldn't stun me. Yeah. But I just think the East is really, really strong. Like, are they better than Ottawa? Are they better than Buffalo? I don't think right now we can say definitively, certainly that they are. They're going to go play Ottawa this weekend. I'm, I think that's going to be an awesome game. I mean, especially how it went there last year. But it's a great measuring stick. But like, there's other teams I feel like that are in line ahead of them to make this jump that Ottawa absolutely has every right to feel as good, if not better, about their young pieces as, as the Red Wings do. So I still do think it's, we're talking three more years till we're talking about, like, can they win the Stanley Cup? But I'm not saying, like, once if, you, if we've seen it, if you get in, you got a chance. Hockey's weird, man. How many eight seeds? I mean, the Kings not right. only won as an eight seed, right? They were up 3 0 in all four of their playoff series. Yeah. I mean, just they, they just ran over everybody and they were on the outside looking into the playoff picture like 10 days before the playoffs began. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've seen the Flames go all the way to the finals as an eight seed, the Ducks all the way to the finals as an eight seed. It's a weird playoff format and sport and it's so hard to win and it's a quirky. I think next year, they, I'm not predicting it, but I'm saying if they add a piece or two yeah. to the group next year, that could be a, a, one of those weird teams that goes on a run. I, I'm more optimistic, I think, than you are. Yeah, that might be. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's inconceivable that they could be a 98, 100-point team next season. And yeah. that's a team that has a chance. Like, no, no doubt about it. Um, but it's just like, when I talk about like Stanley Cup contender, I'm thinking of the six or seven teams that you go into the start of your thinking they can win, right? And I, we could probably rattle who those are off right now. Dallas, Colorado, uh, Carolina, New Jersey. Toronto, right? no San Jose, like Vegas. Yeah, not San Jose, <laughs> right? Like, so like, there's six or seven of them, you know, yeah. that you really yeah. feel like they can win it. We could argue who they are, but like, that's who I talk about when I talk about like a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I I think that's a fair characterization. I would not put Detroit in one of those six or seven, you know, yeah. for the discussion next year. I just think they have a lot of that St. Louis Vegas thing that yep. worked. It just that that seems to be the model whether it was by accident or an intentional, that seems to be where we're at. I could argue, I mean, the Lafreniere lottery that they lost, quote unquote, oh, they may have gotten the better player there. Not, I think they did. Yeah. The only question is, would they have taken Tim Stutzla, right? The year after they take the surprise German, would they have, if they, if they had won that lottery or taken second or even third, would they have yeah. taken Tim Stutzla, who looks like maybe, a, I mean, he's already a 90-point center in this league. Yeah, at the same he's age. awesome. Yeah, so like, that's the question, but you're right. Like, if you... We're sitting there on lottery night lamenting they didn't get Alexi Lafreniere. This rebuild is doomed. Well, they're actually better off than if they had. Much so, better. Yeah. I mean, that was the Raymond draft, wasn't it? That's right. At four. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's like, you know, I, I don't think they probably would have taken Raymond. They probably would have with, gone with the Stutzla, you know. But it's, it's interesting how these things can seem so horrifying in the moment. Cider 
we were all kind of, I mean, Cider didn't think he was going to get taken in that it spot. It was stunning. Yeah. <laughs> you remember the famous was, And I wow. think he would go, in my opinion, our, our prospect guy, Corey, just did his redraft. I think he had him going fifth. I think he would go second, in my opinion. Fifth? He, I got to see it. He's got like the centers, right? And then the, you know, Zegris and Cousins. Cousins, I think, is underrated by the public for how was good he is. Was that the Byfield draft? No, that was the Jack oh. Hughes draft. So okay. So he'd go okay. Jack for sure, number one. Yes. In my opinion, I think Mo would go number two in that draft. But it's up for debate. He's somewhere in that next group of three or four. Yeah. That would include Cousins, Zegris, maybe Cole Caulfield, Matt Boldy. Yeah, yeah. fair. I don't know. Yeah, have you have you come around on Owen Power at all? Yes, <laughs> I, I've always liked Owen Power. It was just that I didn't think he was a guy worth tanking for. Right? <laughs> I know. I've I've mischaracterized your position. No, no, on that. no. It, it's but like yeah, I you know, I do think he looks like a legit number one. He just got yeah. paid eight million dollars a year. Like that's obviously a number one pick. I think they overpaid him a little bit. That's me saying that. I'm I like, think it's gonna look good in a couple of years. Well, I agree. Well. Overpaid him in anticipation of future growth. Which I, I think, think is the way to do it. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of have to yeah. in their position. So I think I, the Red Wings are going to regret not doing that with Cider. Paying him a little bit sooner, you know, this previous. Now, maybe they couldn't. I guess I shouldn't say that. Like, yeah. They didn't make an offer and he didn't say, I want to have my third year and see what I do. But I think the bill on Cider will be at least a half million more on the cap per year. Um whenever it happens, because it happened after Sanderson and Power, two really good players, comparable draft slots, comparable profiles, who have done less offensively, which I think is a huge part of how contracts get tabulated at the time of signing than Cider had. If Cider had signed, I think, this summer, I think the number probably comes in in that Sanderson Power range. I don't know how he doesn't get more than that now, assuming it's a long you know, seven, eight-year deal. I want to finish here. Whenever Detroit gets to cup contention, whether it's next year or three years from now, whatever timeline, do they have the coach in place right now behind the bench that's going to get them there? Is he going to be there when they're ready for that? They just might. I mean, you, you never know because it, coaching is the most, I think, fickle thing in sports where like it's, it's so easy to uh, blame a coach. It's so easy to decide, well, you know, that's the easiest thing to change. Something gets off and the coach is the one that wears it. Like it's so hard to know, but I think there's a real chance because I didn't really think that Lalone could get as much out of that group that he got up to that point in Ottawa last season where they were in a playoff spot in late February. I would not have told you at the start of last season that that was possible. And so that tells me he is doing something right. He's pushing some right buttons. We see all the time, like, you know, how long can one specific kind of like message or style work with one group? Like, we're getting to the point where the Bedners and the Brindamores are the exception. Bruce Cassidy got so long in Boston before and, and was so successful there and they still let him go. Right. So you never know with coaches, but I've been really impressed with Derek Lalone. And I think um, I think there's a chance that that, that is the case. Is Lalone more players coach or more? Kind of- I don't know. Like that's I, he I can't get a read on him. Like certainly I think he talks about his best strengths as being a communicator. So I think that would tell me players coach. But I don't think that means he's not demanding. And so is he demanding in the way of like a Tortorella? Like, I don't get that read off of him. No, he's the gulag coach. So yeah. <laughs> everyone's below that bar. But uh, I think that I think that he's kind of got a mix there. I think he I think he is. I think he does hold a high standard here for these guys. And he's not just, you know, just being the best friend for, again outside. But from what I kind of observe and. Um, I think he does hold them to account. I think he holds a line, but I, I do think he views it as he's a communicator. Everything that I, you know, have heard about kind of those interactions, I think 
that checks out. So maybe a little hybrid. I don't know. Probably. I, I, I think, uh, Dan Watson, the guy they just hired in Grand Rapids, like you hear players, coach, players, coach, players, coach. And I, I see that really clearly in the way that he at least communicates with us and Lalone and Watson, I think have a, a strong relationship, but I think I would imagine you're seeing a little bit of Lalone kind of rubbing off on how his style played out. Um, but it doesn't really answer your question. Uh, but I, I do think it's no, a little, it little does. Little I mean, yeah. it's a little bit of a question. That's yeah. I can't figure it out. Yeah. I had a, I had a good read on Blashill. Everyone knew Babcock was an ass, but <laughs> I, I still can't figure out this guy. Max Boltman, thanks for joining us. Before round one of the playoffs, maybe you'll join us when the Red yeah, Wings are starting right. their yeah. run this year. We'll make year. that work, yeah. Don't be a stranger. And don't send a, a rogue booker for me. I didn't send around. anybody. <laughs> that that was uh, Cali Tickets going rogue on his own. I had nothing to do with that, but I'm glad he did. He facilitated the reunion here. It's great. Uh, been yeah. great to have you again. Absolutely. been great to be here. Max Bowman, The Athletic. Thanks so much. Spiro Avenue Show, Justin Spiro. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Eric. Later. <laughs>